0: with the slow fade. I love that. All right. Well, good morning again. Uh, We're going to be in Acts 6, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there, tap there. Acts 6, 1 through 7. If this is your first time here, uh, we go through books of the Bible primarily from the pulpit, and we've been in Acts since February, and I've been loving preaching every second of it. Uh, I'll let the congregation speak for yourself. But um, today we're in Acts 6, 1 through 7. Quick public service announcement. My phone for like the last week and a half has been in and out of cellular data. I brought it back in and out of T-Mobile, and we can't figure out what's going on. They said they'd overnight me a SIM card. That was four days ago. Uh, hasn't come. So uh, some feedback is getting to me, like, oh, you ghosted me. You blew me off this week, you know, all this stuff. Um, I'm not. I'm not getting texts. I'm not getting. So the best way to email me is to write a physical letter and deliver it by horse to my, no, kidding. um kidding. Email me would be the best surefire way to know that I'm getting a message, because I'm missing text. I can't get calls from non-iPhoneers. Just throwing that out there. All right, it's not personal. It's technical. All right. Um, And what we've seen so far in our journey through Acts is that in spite of persecution, in spite of opposition that arises against the body of Christ, um, whether that's from the outside, the religious leaders, or sinful kind of dysfunction within the ranks of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, is that this body of believers in Christ is growing at a rapid pace, at a rapid pace. Um, what scholars would say is that where we're at in Acts 6, the the number of church members would be roughly 20,000 plus. 20,000 plus, okay? So to put that in perspective, say in about six months, the uh, transit church runs roughly about 150 people, okay? Say about six months, around December, give or take a couple weeks, December, we grow from 150 to twenty thousands of us lord let it be right and that growth comes through salvation not through church transfer right so you have 20,000 in the church you have 20,000 brand new believers in the lord Jesus who are new to this whole uh gospel community bloodbought community the bride of christ and with the that rapid growth comes some growing pains right so for the transit church if in 6 months there's one full-time staffer here I'm I'm it and if there's 20,000 of y'all, we're running like logistically, there's, there's things that aren't going to get neglected or things that aren't going to get left behind. I'm looking at, you know, budget items of like office supplies and just, you know, toilet paper, you know, supplies like 20,000, you know how much toilet paper that is on a monthly basis, you know, multiple services, you're looking at like $5,000 a month, it'd be like, you know, BYOTP, like bring your own TP to service. You know, like that's, that's the stuff you have to think through with rapid growth, Okay. And that's where we're at. The title of my sermon is Growing Pains. And we see that uh, the church is growing at this rapid pace and some, some things were getting neglected and some people were getting neglected in that, gro- that growth. And um, one of the key points of the, text, uh, the sermon text this morning is that what's beautiful here and what I want to hone in on, and then we're going to go through this verse by verse, is that instead of this problem in the early church causing division and resentment to well up, uh, thwarting the advancement of the gospel, we see the exact opposite happen in the early church. This problem, this obstacle becomes an opportunity to bring the church closer together in humility and unity, and it actually leads to a further increase. It leads to more growth of the body of Christ. Beautiful picture that we're going to be looking at, um, and, and there's a lot that the Lord has for us today. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we come before you grateful that you are a generous God. And you are a good father, and you love to give good gifts to your kids. Thank you for the freedom that you've given us in Christ Jesus, that he has conquered our greatest enemies, our enemies that were too powerful for us. Sin, death, and the devil are all now vanquished, conquered foes, and we're going to reign with you forever in victory. So I pray that you fill us with faith. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us eyes to see our Savior. Give us uh, the heart that Jesus has for his body, the church. Lord God, help us to be unified in love for one another because that brings glory to you, Jesus. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, you have come and you have magnify Jesus, that he would increase and that I would decrease and we yield to you. And we pray that you would have your way with our hearts today, Lord God, that we would leave here softened and not hardened. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, verse one. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So to understand what's happening, we have to kind of understand who these groups are. In the initial stages of growth, the primary converts to Christianity were Jews, okay? And um, in, in that kind of camp, you kind of had two camps that the text talks about in the church. You had Hellenist Jews and you had kind of the Hebrews, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The Hebrews were Jews, Jewish converts to Christianity who were living in and around Jerusalem. Their primary language was Aramaic, okay? And they grew up in and around the temple. So different language, different culture, but common savior, okay? And they, the, the Hebrews were the majority, They're probably 80% plus the majority of the church at this point. And then the minority would be the Hellenists, roughly 10, 20% is what scholars suggest, 10 to 20% of church, the church membership docs, the rolls, okay? And the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews from scattered, Not they didn't live in first-century Palestine or in Jerusalem, they lived scattered across the globe, and they came to Christ most likely through what happened at Pentecost. Uh, everyone, all, all the pilgrims would travel to celebrate the Feast of Harvest, and then the Holy Spirit gets poured out, and then all these people who were scattered uh, come to hear the gospel preached in their own language through the gift of tongues at Pentecost, and they get saved. So you have... Um, You have this beautiful blend of Hebrew Jews who come to know Jesus and Greek-speaking Jews who come to know Jesus. And the Greek-speaking Jews have a different language, different culture they live in, and different second language, right? The the language of of where they live currently outside of uh, Israel. And so with that said, in both of these camps in the church, both camps kind of had widows. And the, the widows, obviously their lives, their sustenance depended on this thing called the daily distribution, the daily distribution And uh, what that daily distribution was, it was some system that was in place, uh, given like like what we saw in, uh, what we've seen throughout Acts, if you've been with us for a while, we see that in the early church, they would sell their possessions, they sell fields, real estate assets, and they laid at the apostles' feet. And they would say, hey, we want this to meet the needs in the community. And so the apostles were tasked with collecting these resources and then then allocating these resources to those in the community. That was the daily distribution. Were daily widows, somehow they would either come to a location or people would go to their houses and they would give them food and clothing and money, so on and so forth. And the problem that arises with this system, given the rapid growth of the church, is that the Hellenist widows were getting neglected in the daily distribution. That's it, like, and that's a, like an uh-oh moment for leadership, right? Like, oh no, that's not supposed to happen. That was And listen, it's easy for us to maybe try to assume some ill intent but what's crystal clear in this text is what, what Luke, the author of Acts, makes crystal clear is this was due to the rapid growth of the church. When the church was roughly 120, maybe 220, the apostles could manage uh, feeding and caring for like you know 12 to 13 widows. Like hey, Peter, tomorrow I'm going to go you know to Esther's house and deliver this, find out what her needs are, all this stuff. But when you move from 200 people to 20,000. I guess a little bit more hard to manage as the apostles themselves are daily, uh, you know, preaching the gospel and praying for, and they're like seeing multitudes come to know Jesus. And by the way, they're also getting arrested and scorched. Okay, so this wasn't ill intent of the apostles. This was a mismanagement. This was something that got lost in kind of the organized chaos because the organizational chart at this point in the church was you had the 12 apostles at the top and, and underneath them was 20,000 new converts. That's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. And one of the most beautiful things of our text is how the church collectively responds to this problem, right? Like there could this could have caused division. And if there's division in the body, we're going to spend all of our time fighting with one another and not going into our community in love, unified, reaching the lost. So a lot is at stake here. And what we see is just God's favor and his protection, but also the church's humility and unity in resolving this problem. This was a collective problem. And the solution was a collective solution. It was beautiful. And so our text continues. That's kind of the history behind uh, what's happening in the text. Verses 2 through 4. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's what happens is the apostles call a church member meeting. So there's a full number of the disciples. I doubt they rented out a Colosseum and had 20,000, you know, uh, the the local, uh, you know, uh, Capitol Stadium and, and, you know, had a member meeting there. But uh, it was probably their key leaders in the community. So they rally the key disciples, the key leaders in their community. And the first thing that comes out of the apostles' mouth, it sounds kind of like snobbish at first glance, Right. Like the verses on the screen, uh, it is not right that we, the apostles, should give up the pre- like to serve tables. It's not right. This is too menial or low of a task for us, right? It's what you can read into the text, but that's not at all what they're saying. That's not at all what they're saying. The Greek nuance to, to what they're saying, and every commentary kind of teases this out, is they're saying it's not right in God's eyes. It's not pleasing in God's sight for us to be overseeing this daily. Distribution. And the reason is real simple. Hey, this is a great thing that the church needs to do, and we're going to continue to do it because we're followers of Jesus. James 27 says, "True religion is caring after the orphan and the widow." Exactly like Joe and Jonah went and did. They're praying for uh, those that are coming from broken homes and and all that stuff. But that's that's the compassion. If you want to be a spirit filled church, what we see here in Acts is a spirit filled church. That that love of Jesus filling us is going to manifest in really natural ways. I mean, practical needs for the orphan and the widow and the least of these in society. So the apostles are saying, this is a great thing that we're going to do and we're always going to do. And personally, what we're, we're going to do, I'm not going to stop talking to widows and caring for them. But it's something, it's not something that God has specifically called us to do or gifted us to do, right? And the reason for that is real. And so, so all I say is that the heart behind this is not lazy disobedience to Jesus. It's a desire for faithful obedience to Jesus. And for his gospel to advance and instead of them overseeing the daily distribution what they want to commit themselves to is the ministry of the word it says in prayer the ministry of the word and prayer And what's kind of crazy to think about is of all the things the Apostles deem as essential to their calling and to the church advancing and the body of Christ being built up what they deem as essential to their calling is two things prayer and preaching the gospel. Prayer and preaching the gospel. So two things we learn there uh, right out of the gate is one, we see the crucial importance of prayer and preaching for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Those two are inseparable. That's the model we see. The preaching of the word, the logos, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Whenever you see someone filled with the spirit, Acts what they're going to do is they're going to testify to Jesus Christ. The word who became became flesh and dwelt among us. And just as we see the Holy Spirit moving in power, we see so many sermons where the apostles or non-apostles are testifying to Jesus. So they're saying, we want to be committed to going and proclaiming the good news, the euangelion, the message of victory that King Jesus has accomplished for undeserving sinners. That's the message we want to commit our lives to the ministry of the word, proclaiming that. And listen, we want to do that prayerfully. We want to do that perfectly. It's not enough for us just to go. We want to go humbly and dependent on the Holy Spirit to come and anoint us for the task at hand. So one, we see the importance. The gospel will not advance unless there's the preaching of the gospel. That's how sinners are saved. And then two, through prayerful dependence and reliance on the Holy Spirit as we press into that. Okay? So we see the importance for that in the church and uh, and one thing I'm really excited about with that, as we've been going through Acts, is just as much as you know, uh, I'm studying it, and the elders were preaching it to you and teaching. It's, it's shaping the way we're doing ministry here, right? It's shaping the way we're doing here. Well, uh, the the trends and trajectories I'm seeing with the early church is that they're gathering to pray a whole lot. They devoted themselves to prayer. Acts four, they rally after they're persecuted. And they pray, they commit themselves to prayer. So what I'm excited about some things at the transit is you know Joe Workman hosting prayer and worship nights on Friday. That email went out this week. That was amazing. That was a beautiful night of us just coming together and crying out to the Lord to to use us and to move mightily through us to reach the lost. And then uh, the prayer walks. And then something we're gonna start doing with our intercessory team is Thursday mornings, if you're free, come join us. We'll send out the info. But here, Thursday mornings at 6.30 to 8 a.m., we're gonna be gathering here and praying. And crying out to God to fill us with boldness, to be bold witnesses at our workplaces, in our community, so on and so forth. Because this is the pattern we see of how the kingdom of God advances. So one, we see the importance of it, importance of the task itself. But secondly, we see the effectiveness of it, particularly with these apostles. When these apostles, like it's a no brainer, right, for the apostles to commit themselves to this. You know what happens, what we've seen so far in Acts? When the apostles pray, buildings shake, right? When the apostles lay their hands on someone who hasn't walked in 40 years, they pop up like a cricket and they start walking, okay? Blind eyes open when they pray, Buildings shake. So I think, I just have a hunch that they should be praying, right? They should be devoting themselves to prayer. Things move, things happen as they pray. And when they preach... When they proclaim the word of God, the gospel, multitudes, thousands are coming to know Jesus. There's an anointing on their lives for this task. Okay, so it's a no-brainer for the apostles to go, I, like, we are, one, kind of mismanaging, you know, allocating these resources and all this stuff, because we want to do like the, you know, like, come Lord, like heaven invading the earth kind of stuff, and we're not doing a good job doing this. And let me just say this, as a... Um, we want to press into being yielded to the Holy Spirit. The question is always, well, how do I find my gifting? How do I know what my gifting is? And my biggest encouragement, I'm stealing this from Sam Storms, um, but he says, he says, let your gift find you. As you go and you serve and you wash feet and you seek to meet needs in the community, in the church, and as you start praying for people and, and seeing if people get healed or you get words for them as you're praying, like, like your gift finds you. Does that make sense? So as you go and serve, your gifting will be confirmed in service and in community, not through an online gifting test, right? And that's what we see here is one, as the apostles are going, they get clarity on where they're gifted and called and where they're not gifted and called. And so they're saying, I actually need to let go of this because I'm making it a mess and and I'm stealing a yes from other people to serve. And meanwhile, the gospel isn't going forth with as much power. So the solution wasn't for them to do all the work the solution was for them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and let other people use and champion their gifts. Okay. So, um, and the way the community responded to this solution proposed by the apostles was this in verse five, it says this, when they heard this, what they said, pleased the entire gathering, please the entire gathering. I want to hone in on this for a little bit. Um, what we see here is there was not competition or jealousy or condemnation of the apostles. What we see here is there is this collective unity of the gospel going forth, right? And so the, the the community realized that the apostles, like I grew up playing hockey, I love hockey, sorry. Like I tried to do some research about the NBA so I could share a different uh, sports illustration for you all. But I was like, I'm gonna totally botch it. Anyway, so um, long story short, the apostles need to be on the ice, not riding the bench, right? And there's the things that go into a hockey, There's things that go into a professional hockey team. There's people that are water boys, there's, there's people over the equipment, they're sharpening skates, you know, all that stuff, right? Now, listen, Washington Capitals have one of the most historically gifted goal scorers of all time. His name is Alexander Ovechkin. And it would be the height of insanity. Like, yes, there are actual needs in the team to sharpen skates, right? To tape up some sticks to fill up some water, right? But if that keeps Ovechkin, Ovi, the Great eight, from being on the ice and scoring goals, that would be a terrible use of his gifting, right? Because somebody else could be doing that. And so the collective cry of the community is, yes, get back out there. Like I was hoping you would say that, right? We we're all hoping you would say that because you're not supposed to be doing that. That's not, they confirm their calling and their gifting. Say, we want you on the ice. We want you in Solomon's portico, we want you praying for the sick. We want you to be spending time to prayer and preaching the gospel. That's what you're going to be doing. And let us rise up to the occasion and meet these needs. And the second thing we learn here too is that not all work of the church is just apostolic work. It wasn't that they had nothing to do. There's so much to be done to build up the body of Christ. That's why every gift is needed. Every calling is gifted. And in the church in the West today, we tragically have focused, and 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 I've been guilty of this, of just Kind of glorifying one one office and one gifting, and that's the, the 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 lead pastor preaching and teaching the word. And the tragedy with that is so many gifts lie dormant. So many people show up who are sitting on so many God-given gifts that are given to build up the body of Christ. And subconsciously we've trained the bride of Christ to come and just receive and leave and not realizing coming that I have something to offer, that the Lord has gifted me, I am essential that we're all coming together with this beautiful construction project with different technical skills and gifting. Some of us really good with electrical work, some tile, some plumbing, and we get to come and the posture then should be, Lord, who can I encourage today? Who can I pray for? Where can I serve? Where can I build up? Not just receive. Yes, we come and we minister to the Lord. We, we exalt his name. And that's why we preach the word. Yes, we want to edify and disciple you from the, the pulpit. We come with the mindset, if all of us are essential, Members of the body and scripture clearly teaches that we've all been gifted, then you are essential to making this church happen. There are, this morning, there was like 50 people serving, right? And then I come up here and all the focus is on me, but there's, there's like five people in the sound booth. There's multiple people with kids ministry. There was like 30 people up here in worship, um, making this happen using gifts I don't have. And that's one of the reasons that um, my hope, and I really believe the Lord uh, put this on my heart before I transitioned to this role, was I want to decrease so that others can increase. And there's a, uh, sometimes like, and mainly because I can't do it all and I'm very aware of my weaknesses. Like nobody wants me doing administrative work, trust me. All right, by the way, our office manager, Melissa, who's been, uh, she has, let me just give her a shout out. She has been an answer to prayer. She has kept the ship afloat. Uh, we want to honor her. She's about to have a baby. Uh, but she's, uh, she rose to the occasion January 1st as um, our, our, our beloved lead, former lead pastor, Jeff Toomer, answered the call to go full-time somewhere else. The first thing I was asked by a mentor friend of mine is, you need to identify right now, what are your, what are your two biggest weaknesses and which weakness do you need to outsource and which weakness do you need to grow in? And I, I, knew, I knew immediately what the answers were. I'm not going to talk about weakness I need to grow in. But the second one, was I told him I went right to the elders and I say, listen, I'm not making another full-time hire of a pastor. I need administrative help. All right. And Melissa's been doing an amazing job keeping the lights on, uh, keeping us not getting evicted. There's a whole there's a whole lot that she's done. All right. So you just want to honor her and make sure you thank her and uh and bless her as there. The Moroni's about to have a baby here. But that's the beautiful way the body of Christ works is that we all have something to offer. That God is a generous God and He's gifted us, and our gifting gets identified as we serve and as we pray to one another. And that's what's happening here. These gifts aren't uh, envied or there's no uh, looking up or looking down, they're celebrated because the common goal we have, the common goal we have at the transit church, the body of Christ, is that Christ will be glorified and how we're unified and how we're all in this together to advance his kingdom. That's the goal, right? Not to have an awesome rocking church service, right? Right? Not to build a business. The goal is the exaltation of Jesus in all things. And he gets exalted, brings a smile to his face when his body that he is the head of, that he's purchased with his blood is unified and they're serving and building one another up in love so that when there are problems, that end goal is chief and ultimate, right? Not us getting our way or whatever, saying how can Jesus be exalted and magnified in how we handle this? This is exactly what we see the church do. And so the solution that the apostles propose is this, Therefore, brothers, verse three, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So quick, simple solution was pick seven men that aren't the apostles, seven other people, we need help, who have good character in the Greek. That means someone who's testified to your character. Like these people are known in community and the reputation amongst both in the church and outside the church is these are men of 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 uh, above reproach in all things, above reproach and all things, uh, uh, And uh, and then secondly, we see it's so interesting the job description they give. They say, one, we want these men that you're going to choose for this task to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, listen, for me, if I was overseeing this task, it's daily distribution, it's allocating financial resources. And logistics and, and figuring out who needs what and making it happen. So if I'm the apostles in this situation, I'm saying go find someone in the community who has business skills, who who has who has administrative skills, who's who's really good at Microsoft Excel sheets, you know, like like ways we're not gifted. That's not what they say. And listen, listen, what we learned in our text is that yes, there needs to be organiz- organizational structure. In the body of Christ, there needs to be a skeleton for the body, right? We can't just be this like, you know, blah, blob blah, jellyfish with no structure, right? There needs to be leadership structure. We see that. I'm not dogging on organizational stuff, but I'm saying the kingdom of God doesn't advance because we have great business skills. That's what I'm saying. And it's so interesting to see that this is not the MO. This is not what the apostles are looking for, for this task, for this task, what was paramount for the apostles was not competency. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many tragedies in the news of, of pastor's tanking is because we've glorified gifting and skill set and competency over character and Christ likeness. And so we'll put people, we'll rush people into things when they're not ready and they can grow a church and Maybe they are called by God, but what was paramount for the apostles, and this is what I always tell our community group leaders, uh, who, who um, like, hey, we need to train up leaders, we need to be looking for apprentices, is, is three, the three C's we look for is character, calling, and competency, and where we want to take, where we never take the risk, laying hands on someone and putting them in a situation of leadership is on character. You take the risk on competency. Competency can be trained. You never risk. You never roll the dice. Ah, this guy's character is a little bit questionable, but he's so gifted. He's such a leader. He's such a, like all this. No, 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 we always. so that was paramount to the apostles, but not just that. He says, key word here, that these men would be filled with the spirit. This is what uh, one uh, New Testament scholar says about this, this job description. To be filled with the spirit means that their lives are directed by God's spirit. So they are spiritually sensitive, able to make good judgments a sign a spiritual mature, maturity. And given what the apostles have account, encountered by being yielded to the Holy Spirit, by the way, which is what the first thing Jesus did when he ascended to the Father was, you know, he poured out, the gift of the Father was pouring out the Holy Spirit upon the church. What the, what the apostles have seen is it's a no brainer for them because they've seen the effectiveness of being yielded and being yielded to and led by the Holy Spirit. Right? Just to um, put it this way, is that wisdom that comes from above is far more effective in advancing the kingdom than wisdom that comes from the world. So to be full of the spirit of God is to actually be full of wisdom because you're not running and rushing to worldly wisdom. You're running to spiritual wisdom, to the Lord, to understand how to handle the task. I'm not saying we can't learn some amazing things from successful businesses. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the first place we run as a church is to the leadership and the yield and, and, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? And one of my favorite things that I, I discovered this week—not discovered, but just kind of you know landed in my heart—was you know one of my favorite. As I'm reading through Philippians in my quiet time this week, I just realized I was going, You know what? The whole the whole book, uh, uh, the letter of the church at Philippi came about through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Came about through a vision. The church, the church was planted. The church was planted because Paul got a vision of a Macedonian man saying, "Come, we need help." And then Paul says in Acts 16, immediately Paul goes and they go to Macedonia and they start meeting and they plant this church at Philippi. And then the reason we have this beautiful letter, testimony of Christ's faithfulness in the midst of suffering is because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this is that the church at Philippi didn't get planted because Paul was a successful businessman and entrepreneur. You tracking with me? That's not how Philippi got planted. It got planted because the Holy Spirit led them, led them. And so that this is what's happening. They see the laser-like efficiency of the omniscient God leading and guiding and directing them. And of course, there's wisdom that the Lord requires us to use. But at the end of the day, the first place we see the apostles run is on their face before the Lord saying, lead us, guide us, give us boldness, give us opportunities to go. They're not running, okay? And I think what, we, what we're what we striving for in the church today, and I really believe that uh, the Lord is stirring something up from 2020 into what, what's happening kind of globally in the church, is that I think the church is going to stop seeking inspiration from Steve Jobs and they're going to start getting inspiration from the Holy Spirit, right? And again, God bless them, right? And God bless those principles. But What we need is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and to do what the church did at Acts, saying, come, Holy Spirit, lead and guide us where to go as we go, anoint us, equip us for the task. And so returning to our text, this is what we see next. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. And the beautiful thing we see here is that um, this community problem led to a community solution. It says that they, the community, not the apostles, chose the seven men who would serve. So we see the humility of the apostles that they didn't know there's 20,000 people. And in the Hellenist community, they didn't know who the seven men would be. So they commissioned the rest of the congregation to say, hey, you guys choose and present them to us. seven men who meet these metrics. We're going to set the metrics, but you all decide. And these seven men, they all had, uh, they all had Greek names. And so we see here that there was worldly wisdom here, just as much as you know a spiritual wisdom of who could best reach the Hellenist community, understanding their language and their culture and their customs was Greek-speaking men. And so those were the men who were commissioned for this task. And these men were chosen. They didn't choose the job because calling into ministry often finds you. And then we learn about two men, Stephen and Philip here, who we're gonna hear a whole lot about. And I love the way Stephen is mentioned here. And Joe Workman is gonna preach next week on, uh, on Stephen um, in Acts uh, 7. It says, a man full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. So they present these seven men to the apostles and uh, they publicly commission them. It says they pray and they lay hands on them. There's two things with the kind of laying on of hands and publicly commissioning. One, we see this practice in the early church. This was a public recognition of God's call on their life. It was confirmed through community. And then the elders, the leaders confirmed that calling through publicly saying, you, the community, and we, the leadership, confirm God's call on these men for this task, okay? We kind of see that pattern in scripture. And the second thing we see through the laying on of hands, if you're studying this in scripture, is that there's also like an impartation of spiritual gifts when that happens as well. And I I think the evidence for that also being what's happening here, I don't think it's just a public commission. I think there is something more happening here. Is because we see Philip and Stephen, uh, after this moment where the the hands of the apostles were laid on them, is that in Acts 7, in Acts 8, Stephen and Philip, non-apostles, begin to operate in the same power and the anointing of these guys. And we learn about this kind of uh, practice in the church throughout Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.14 says this. Paul's writing to his protege, protege Timothy, and he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And and then we see in Romans 1.11, Paul's saying, "I, I eagerly desire to come to you that I may impart gifts to you. So what we see with Timothy was that he had something he didn't have previously because the elders laid their hands on it. And then the encouragement in 2 Timothy 4, the other uh, letter to Timothy from Paul, is fan that into flame. Steward that gift that you got through the laying on of hands. Now listen, for Acts 6, uh, any, any commentary you read on Acts 6 worth its salt will go back to Exodus 18 and Numbers 11, when Moses faced the same tr- the, pro- the same problem of leadership over the body of uh, of, of believers, that he was uh, task to lead. And Jethro comes up and says, hey, you need help. You need to, uh, you need to install 70 elders to help you lead the people of Israel. Okay, and, and we see a shockingly similar thing happen here in Acts 6 with the leaders of the church. They choose seven and Moses choose 70. And, and there's a correlation there. And what's interesting is in Numbers eleven twenty four, 24, when the 70 are chosen, there's kind of a similar thing where these 70 men are placed uh, before uh, the tent of Meeting, and they're commissioned publicly. And watch this, verses 11, uh, numbers 11, 24 to 25. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down on the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit, the Holy Spirit that was on him, on Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, they prophesied. And the reason I share all of that is, again, is, is what we see what's happening here is there's a public recognition. There's a laying on of, uh, of hands and prayer, but I, I believe there's a kind of a transference of the anointing of the apostles on these guys because immediately what we see from this moment is they're they're not just feeding widows widows and orphans. They're operating in power. They're, uh, people are coming to know Jesus. There's signs and wonders done at their hands, people being healed, demons cast out, so on and so forth. So we're going to wrap up with verse seven. And this is the result of this meeting. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so let me just say this, what could have been a problem in the church that would have caused division and destruction actually brought about an opportunity for further unity and the advancement of The gospel. We see this early church community, they didn't just throw, like throwing stones is really easy, right? That's why we do that in today's world. Deconstructing is really easy, but but doing the hard work of reconstructing and humility and love and overcoming problems and unity is much more difficult. It's easy to throw stones. They didn't just throw stones. They came together in humility and grace and love of Christ to collectively implement a collective solution to their collective problem. And I think Overall, what we see in our text today is this: is what a healthy immune system looks like in the body of Christ. This is what a healthy immune system looks like in the body of Christ. My wife, um, it's common knowledge, uh, has an autoimmune uh, disease called Crohn's. And what an autoimmune disease is, is the immune system gets all wonky and it attacks healthy tissue. It attacks the body, attacks something it shouldn't attack. And what a healthy immune system should do, it should recognize what the what what actually should be attacked. What is the problem? And then once it recognizes what the problem is, then how do we respond accordingly to overcome this problem? Why? Why? What's the purpose of the immune system? So that your body would be stronger. Your body would be healthier. Your body would thrive. Your body would thrive. And church, let me just say this. I've been, we've been so proud of the transit church. I have heard so many horror stories in 2020 of churches exploding and all this stuff. And and, and we, you know, that email we sent out, we really mean what we said. We've been so proud. Of all the things that could divide us, all the problems that uh, have come our way, that, that, that God in His grace to us has kept us unified. He's kept us unified in His love. And I, and I personally want to say thank you for that. Not only did we encounter a lot of things in 2020, there's, a, there's a huge church transition that happened in January. By God's grace, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, just two men answered, just following the leadership of the Lord. But through all of these transitions, We've been unified in love and the gospel. Because, because, watch this. Because of our unity, there's corporate ramifications out there as well. Because of our unity that we're all still here and gathered, things like Joe and Jonah going out to juvenile, like, 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 there's teens who desperately need Jesus. They're going to come to know Him, right? And so, when our common end goal is not ourselves and our rights, or you know, all that stuff, when our common end goal is, man, we just want people to come to know Jesus and experience the freedom that he's given us. It changes our conflicts. It changes the way we approach things that could divide us, right? Like, it totally changes that framework. And I'll wrap up with this. I was praying this morning, and I felt the Lord um, wanted me to conclude with this, with this thought of that his body is precious to him. His body is precious to him. What we need to realize is that what scriptures say in Ephesians 2 is that Jesus Christ has reconciled us in one body together back to the Father. And the refrain I had is, I just really felt the Lord wanted us to to see, do we know and understand how precious my bride is to me? That I died for her. I purchased her with my blood. And this is what Ephesians 5, 25 through, 20 through 30 says. And I'll conclude with this. And I know this is about husbands loving your wives, but it's so beautiful. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, because he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I think what the Lord would have us conclude with is this, is that Jesus Christ cherishes his bride, and his body. And what that means then is that if we have animosity and, and beef with one another, we we have to be careful about trashing somebody's bride. Does that make sense? That there's a third party to all conflicts or problems that we have in the body of Christ, right? That the love that Christ has is the same love that we should have because he nourishes and he cares for and he builds up and cherishes his bride. So when problems arise, just like what happened in Acts six, we see the heart of Jesus for the church. That they're saying, "Hey, how can we love, and how can we serve, and how can we overcome this, so Jesus can be magnified as the head of the church?" Because he is—he—he he has a vested interest in his body not attack, not having an autoimmune disease, but overcoming the problems that arise in, in grace and love and hope. And so, let's pray to that end. Let's go before the Lord. I'll, I'll conclude now. You guys can close your eyes. I'll call up the band. I just want to give you a moment. I think we just want to just posture our hearts um, to respond. And there's been a lot of teaching through this text, but just wherever, wh- what I would say is this, is, is one of the ways the enemy would love to come and divide us would be sowing seeds of division or uh, interpersonal conflict and all that stuff. So I just encourage you go to the Lord and, and, and ask him uh, to, to reveal wherever there's animosity or maybe resentment you're harboring for people in your in family or in the church or community. And, and this is all from the text and from the Lord. It's, not, it's I'm not speaking to anything and like, I'm not saying this because like, I'm whatever. I'm saying, because I feel like the Lord wants us to do this, that He wants us to partner with Him in building up His body. Right? And so anything in us that is saying no or is doing the opposite, we want to respond. That's how we want to respond to the message is through repentance, right? Repentance, confession, and faith. That's, that's the daily life of uh, following Jesus' repentance. So go before the Lord. And uh, I'll go silent here and, and just spend time talking to your Savior. He loves to welcome you and, 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 uh, and give you fresh forgiveness and fresh renewal to equip you to go walk in boldness for him. we thank you. We come before you so grateful that uh, you've you've reconciled us uh, in one body, Lord God, that we're not alone. We're part of this beautiful community that you've purchased with your blood, that everyone in this room who's trusted in Christ. We are eternal blood-bought brothers and sisters. We're going to be hanging out for a long time together. Thank you for that beautiful reality, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this new family that. You've called us to you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for the love that you have, that you laid down your life for your bride. You laid down your life, God, for us. You purchased us. You've rescued us when we were once distant from you and under the tyranny of the devil and our own sin. That you came and vanquished our enemies and absorbed our sins on the cross and paid the penalty that we that was ours to pay, God, our sins placed upon the spotless Lamb of God. You redeemed us, and you called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of your glory, but you did that in one body, not just individually, but us together. So thank you, God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the transit church, this body of believers. Thank you for all the ways that you've been magnified and, and how we've loved one another and served one another. Lord, thank you for all the ways that we haven't let... Um, all the division in our world divide us, God. That's your grace. That's your uh, your protection over us, Lord God. And we ask Holy Spirit to come and unify us around You, Jesus. Unify us around You, not around politics, not around uh, different tribes or hobbies, but unify us around You, Jesus. Love for You, love for Your glory, love for Your name, God. Unify us in a common pursuit of your name being magnified in our world and across the globe to the nations and in our community, Lord Jesus. Unify us. Give us eyes to see your beauty and your wonder. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We will sing of your love and your grace for all of eternity with one voice with one voice. So thank you that this picture today of us gathering in Northern Virginia in 2021 is just the preview of what is to come, Lord God. It's just the preview of what is to come. The redeemed of God proclaiming the excellencies of our Redeemer. God. So we love you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.